0: Thank you very much, Peter. Um, for anyone who would like to chat to Peter during the tea break or get a signed copy of his book, he will be just through the middle doors at the desk there um, during the tea break. Next up, we have um, Junaid and Jean François from PwC um, talking on a case for user specified parameters in SAM. Junaid is an associate director and actuary at PwC. He has led a number of assurance and advisory engagements with leading insurers both within South Africa and across the globe. In his time at PwC, Janae has developed a wide range of experience including actuarial valuations, capital modeling, model validation, due diligence, SAM and IFRS 4 phase two. With regards to SAM, he leads a core team of experts to provide advice and review services across pillar one and two. He's also a part of ASA's microinsurance committee. John Fantra is an actuarial consultant and focuses on assurance and advisory work for non-life insurers in South Africa and globally, including both IFRIS and Sam. He has experience in actuarial and capital modeling, model review and validation, um, and product development. He is part of the STICS working group for research, ASA's Business Intelligence and Data Analytics Forum as well as the General Insurance, Property, and Casualty Actuarial Alliance. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Deanne. Um, It's a tough act to follow, but we're hoping a SAM-related topic will do the trick. Um, jokes aside though, we're we finally getting closer to the eventual implementation of SAM. We've seen a number of position papers that have been finalized over the last year. The MOCS authors with you as well last week, and the FSB has also put out requirements in terms of the audit requirements for SAM. But To my surprise, perhaps one of the areas of SAM that has received very little attention is this option to calculate your SCR using user-specific parameters. There are a number of position papers in terms of internal models and the approval process around internal models, but not very much in the light of user-specific parameters. This perhaps talks to the lack of interest and push from an industry perspective. So this morning, we'd like to shed uh, the spotlight, I guess, on on user-specific parameters. Um, And there's a few things that we'd like to cover. So firstly, we take a look at the standard formula um, and the pros and cons of using the standard formula as a measure or quantification of risk. We then look at the alternatives from a regulatory point of view. Um, And then John is going to talk to you specifically about user-specific parameters, so the detail around it. What is it? Where do you use it? How do you calculate it? And then we'll end with some of the benefits of performing the USPA exercise. So let's take a look at the standard formula. An important question for insurers choosing to calculate the SER using the standard formula is how appropriate is the standard formula for your business? It's an important question, well, because the regulator expects you to answer that question as part of your ORSA. Um, putting myself in the regulator's shoes, I'd be quite interested in an insurer's answer to this question as part of my overall assessment of how well an insurer understands the key risks in its business and therefore is embedding SAM at its core to tell me two things. Has the insurer considered all the material risks facing its business and whether the capital it's holding is sufficient to capture those risks? And secondly, for those risks captured by the standard formula, is the industry calibration appropriate for its business? Let's take a closer look at these two questions. The first question around uh, capturing all material risk for an insurer one might reasonably argue that yes, the standard formula does capture the key risks. It captures non-life underwriting risks. it captures your market risk, it captures operational risk. You might argue that there are other risks, risks such as reputational risk, um, strategic risk that you might want to hold capital for, but you might also argue that given the governance, the controls in place, given your risk appetite, and explicit uh, capital, uh, loading for, for, for these risks are not required, or that a simple percentage add-on to your standard formula capital is sufficient. The next question then is, is the industry calibration, sorry, appropriate for your business? Um, and, and looking at that question, I think one must consider the key shortcoming of the standard formula, and that it, it's a one-size-fits-all approach. It's based on an average industry calibration. And for some risks, this might be appropriate. So if we look at life insurance underwriting risk or we look at market risks, you might argue that an industry calibration is appropriate. The risk associated with investing in the equity market for insurer A is unlikely to be different from um, insurer B. But um, if we take a look at operational risk, that's a topic for whole other day and another discussion, so we'll park that for today. Non-life underwriting risk is where it gets interesting. Um, Non-life underwriting risk captures two key components, which is reserve risk and premium risk. Premium risk looks at the risk that, um, or risk or volatility rather, around your future claims and expense experience. It also captures the risk that your premium provisions turn out to be uh, either insufficient or need to be increased in future. Reserve risk, reserve risk captures the risk that your reserve set up for incurred claims is insufficient. Now, those risks you'd be or you would expect to be driven by unique or insurer specific um, factors. So some of those factors would be the target market of your book of business and hence the risk profile. So if you think first for women should have a different risk profile for another insurer offering uh, motor insurance to both males and females. Your future volatility would also be driven by um, the level of sophistication in terms of your underwriting processes. It would be driven by the accuracy involved in terms of your pricing or of, of risk, and also it would be impacted by things like your, your claims management processes. So similar risk, uh, or similar factors would also affect your, um, your reserve risk, but reserve risk would also be impacted by other things. So reserve risk would be impacted by um, the level of sophistication in terms of your reserving process. It would also be impacted in the quality and uh, availability of data that you have. In theory, um, the more granular the data that you have, the ability to do your reserving exercise by line of business, choosing a method that's appropriate by line of business, um, assumptions that reflect the different experience by line should give you a more accurate outcome than uh, applying an ad hoc percentage of premium across all lines of, all lines of business. We also know that the standard formula calibration was based off UK experience. We know that an attempt was made during quiz three to calibrate for South African specific experience. Uh, But at that time, the non-life underwriting risk working group did highlight some challenges in terms of the data um, that was available to perform the exercise. So a blend of South African experience as well as UK or European experience was used. and uh, That obviously isn't isn't ideal, but it's, it's understandable given that this was the first time that such data was requested from industry. But it's not all doom and gloom in terms of using the standard formula. There are benefits. It's relatively easy to calculate. Um, It's definitely an improvement on the current interim measures, um, and it allows insurers to quantify risks that they may not otherwise have been able to quantify um, given given data constraints. But I think that a key key consideration is that SAM expects you to embed uh, risk management within your business. It expects you to understand the risks within your business, and therefore the drivers drivers of capital. And to the extent that that the SCR is used as a quantification of risk and therefore capital is a key measure or key metric that drives decision making in the business, then where the standard formula is used, one must consider the shortcomings that are associated with the standard formula. So what are the alternatives to using the standard formula? There are a number of options from a regulatory point of view. Um, We've put a pathway of the different options, and as you go down along the path, what you see is increased flexibility and freedom in terms of choosing the method, the structure, the assumptions, um, and the calibration to to suit your specific uh, business. But with that increased flexibility comes increased responsibility. So the requirements around having good quality data, documentation, governance, uh, and all of that increases. The stand formula is pretty self-explanatory. user specific parameters is something that John is going to talk to in the next few slides. Um, partial internal model, similar to internal model, but gives you the option to model uh, or to model specific risks using your own own models, and then plug that into the overall SER structure. And then the internal model is the Rolls-Royce option, if we can call it that, it has the greatest degree of flexibility of freedom and therefore, in theory, should be the most useful in terms of understanding the specific drivers of risk in your business. Looking at this Rolls-Royce option, it's not surprising that the majority of short-term insurers in the European market chose to go the internal model route. There are a number of benefits that can be gleaned from performing an internal model exercise. Firstly, it allows you to model your specific risk or capture risk that may not be captured by the standard formula. So if you think about an insurer that's part of a wider group and that might face dependency-specific risk, you might want to model that risk and the internal model gives you the option to model those those types of risks. Um, It also allows you to take into account future profitability in terms of new business written over the next year, something that the standard formula doesn't, doesn't capture. It gives you flexibility in terms of choosing the methods and the calibration or parameters that you use, so calibrating factors that are appropriate to your own circumstances and therefore your experience. Um, And that also applies to the correlation factors that are used in terms of aggregating the different risk types up. You can choose a dependency structure and and, and, and a calibration that that appropriately reflects the diversification in your, your business. These benefits only serve to improve the usefulness of, uh, of, of the SCR as a measure of capital and therefore as a, um, as, as a metric that can be used within, within the business. And also, if you manage risk well within the business, it gives you the opportunity to capitalize that saving as a reduction in your um, – or, or it gives you the chance to, to bank that as a, um, a reduced capital requirement. But. Calculating an internal model isn't, and, and gaining regulatory approval for that internal model isn't a walk in the park. You need expensive resources to build, to maintain, and to run those models. You need to find another expensive and scarce resource in terms of validating that model on a regular basis, a resource that's been independent from the, from the, review proce- uh, from the development process. And the approval process in itself is quite lengthy uh, and, and, and expensive. Trust me, we've been involved in this process, and it is, it is quite onerous. So let's take a closer look at the USP options. I'm going to hand
2: over to John now. Thank you, Junaid. Good morning, everyone. Um, as an alternative to the full internal model, USPs can be used to calculate the ACR for an insurer in the South African context. This approach provides a blend between using an insurer's own specific experience to quantify its risk while still using the structure and simplicity of the standard formula to calculate the SCR. Overall, this this produces a more risk-sensitive capital requirement and a better assessment of the insurer's own risk. This introduces an enhancement to the usefulness of the SCR and then further increases the um, risk management structures internal to the insurer. Looking specifically at the Quiz 3 and Comprehensive Parallel Run technical specifications, there are two major sections which can be recalibrated using user-specified parameters. These are the non-SLT health risk component and the non-life underwriting risk component. Specifically for the non-life underwriting risk component, the premium and reserve risk volatility factors, or the sigma parameters, can be recalibrated using the insurer's own available data. Um, within the solvency II context, there are three additional parameters that can be recalibrated using own data. This is the adjustment for non-proportional reinsurance, um, non-proportional reinsurance, as well as the SLT health and life revision risk factors. It may be possible in future that this will also form part of the SAM um, structure. Given the USP's approach, there are very strict data requirements that need to be adhered to. These relate to both uh, to the completeness, accuracy, and appropriateness of the data used to specify what is your own experience represented in the data. A minimum of five years' worth of data is required in order to calibrate the non-life underwriting risk section of the standard formula, with a credibility factor applied in that case. As more data becomes available over time, The credibility factor increases and more weight is placed on the user's own experience. The other part of this credibility weight would be the standard parameters given in the SAM structure. A minimum of 15 years worth of data is required to get full credibility for liability type of insurance, while a minimum of 10 years worth of data is required for the other lines of business. The output from this entire approach is to give a volatility factor for the non-life underwriting risk section of the ACR. This is assumed to be the standard deviation of the log normal distribution that describes future expected losses over the following year. This distribution is used by the standard formula to pick out the 99.5th percentile, and hence the capital charge for premium and reserve risk. As Junaid mentioned earlier for the internal model, USPs are also subject to regulatory approval. It is a similar process to the internal model approval process, or IMAP, with specific attention paid to the data and governance themes. If the insurer opts to use the USP approach, it um, it is required to specify these volatility factors using standardized methodologies provided in technical specifications. Furthermore, the insurer needs to motivate which of these three methodologies are most appropriate and hence which of the three volatility factors produced is used in its calculation of its ACR. I'll give a brief overview of some of the methodologies for premium and reserve risk and then look at one or two of them in further detail. For premium risk, the three methods on the screen uh, are the ones produced by the technical specifications. The first is a generalized linear model which assumes that the expected losses over a one year period is proportional to the net earned premium in that period. Furthermore, the variance is also proportional to the net earned premium, and there exists some constant loss ratio over time. In other words, this formula and approach does not allow for any rate changes. It lastly assumes that least square estimation is appropriate when fitting the model. The second methodology is similar to the first, except that it assumes that losses are log normally distributed, and it uses a maximum likelihood approach in order to fit the the, uh, the parameters. The last one is based on the Swiss solvency test and assumes that claims follow a compound Poisson process over time. It looks specifically at the volatility in the frequency and severity of claims separately. Moving on to reserve risk, we also have three different methodologies to choose from. In essence, what these try to capture is the movement in what is called the claims development result. I'll explain this concept a little bit later. The first methodology fits a generalized linear model to this claims development result and assumes that the best estimate for claims outstanding is the expected reserve in one year's time plus the expected incremental movement in claims over that period. The variance is also assumed to be proportional to this based estimate and again least square estimation is used to fit the generalized linear model. The last two methodologies are quite complicated and the technical specifications provides no details on how to implement the methodology. It however refers the reader to an article by Mudrich and Wurt in which they provide an analytical formula with which the mean square error of prediction for a basic chain ladder reserving methodology can be calculated. This then provides us with an estimate of the volatility. As I mentioned earlier, a fundamental concept to the reserve risk section is the concept of a claims development result. I'll try and explain this using an example. Given a set of data at a specific accident year, here using 2014 as an example, the claims experience can be summarized into a runoff triangle type approach. We then employ some type of reserving methodology to project what our view of ultimate claims is from this set of data, and hence the reserve that we need to set up at that point in time. Moving one year into the future, we add an additional diagonal worth of data onto this triangle, and again we can employ a reserving methodology to get an updated view of what our ultimate claims experience is going to be. This can obviously be split up into two sections. One related to the current year's worth of claims, and and the other to the prior years. If we then compare the two sections on a like-for-like basis, we get what is called this beta term, which describes our change in our view of ultimate claims from a set of accident years from one year into the next. In essence, all that it is is a comparison of the change in the reserve from one year to the next, as well as the incremental movement between that two periods. Using this concept, in order to calculate the reserve risk volatility factor, we use a concept that was coined a few years earlier using the term an actuary in a box. This requires that the reserving exercise be set up as at the current point in time, using the approach that you would typically use to calculate your technical provisions. We then assign this methodology to a black box type of actuary that moves back in time and calculates these reserves as if if this actuary was standing at that specific point in time doing a reserving exercise using the data available at that point. Moving sequentially back and removing a diagonal every time from the claims reserving data, we end up with a series of these claims development results we just discussed. By comparing these over time, we can fit a generalised linear model and predict some type of volatility measure in our reserve results. For premium risk, the approach is slightly easier. Um, We take the historic ultimate loss ratios that we have observed and we fit a long-run average line to this um, using the GLM approach. Taking the error terms from these actual observed ultimate loss ratios from this long run average and fitting a normal distribution, we can surmise what the implied volatility in our premium risk is. One interesting benefit of the user-specified parameters is that it is required that all data used be net of any risk mitigating features that the insurer has in place. The technical specifications takes it one step further in requiring that the future intended structures be retrofitted to historic gross data in order for the historic data to reflect your current and future expected reserving stru- uh, reinsurance structures. This not only reduces the mean expected outcome of losses, but also reduces the volatility. In addition to this, it allows the insurer to have um, specific scenario and case testing where it can, it, Infer the different capital requirements under different reinsurance structures. This is only one of the very, many benefits of the user specified parameters, and Janet will highlight one or two more of them.
1: Thanks, John. So, what are some of the benefits of conducting this USP exercise? Well, first and foremost, it gives you an SCR measure that's more sensitive to your specific risks and your specific circumstances as an insurer, and if you wish to apply for approval, then there's a potential capital saving or capital benefit that, that you might achieve. But even if you choose not to apply for approval of the USP, it does give you a comparison to the standard formula volatility factors, um, and that's a useful base of which to answer this question of, is the standard formula calibration appropriate within your ORSA? this 4, Phase 2 will also eventually be um, implemented. Latest indications are that we'll have Phase 2 going live in January 2019. And when Phase 2 does kick in, um, similar to SAM, you'll be required to calculate a margin over and above the best estimate, called this risk adjustment. Um, The risk adjustment is quite similar to the risk margin, but one of the key differences between the risk adjustment and the risk margin is that you'll be given flexibility in terms of choosing the method to calculate this adjustment, but you will need to disclose the level of sufficiency or the confidence level that the risk adjustment gets you to in terms of your financials. Now John has already shown that the Um, USB calibration or USB methodologies um, imply a distribution around reserve and premium risk to extract the 99.5 percentile volatility factors. Given the smart actuaries that we are, with some clever maths, it's not easy, not difficult for one to back solve other percentiles in that distribution and therefore determine the risk adjustment in that manner. So it gives you a a neat way to calculate this this potential risk adjustment. John has already illustrated the way that you can use the calibration or the exercise to test the effectiveness of different risk uh, or reinsurance structures. But that's the same applies for any form of risk mitigation. You can test the effectiveness of various decisions on um, your volatility or, uh, or volatility, the volatility factors, and hence risk within your business, and ensure that they're having the desired effect. But more than that, the the, the calibration or the the exercise can be um, done using a forward-looking perspective as well. So if you think about the scenario and stress-testing exercise that you perform and the projected income statement and balance sheets, you can run different scenarios um, through the calibration exercise and understand what impact that has on the volatility and therefore your, your specific capital requirements. So there are a number of potential benefits from performing the USP exercise. But we'd like to conclude by saying that we think that this USP achieves a nice balance between the standard formula and the internal model. On the one end of the spectrum, you've got the standard formula, which is pretty uh, easy to calculate, but not as sensitive uh, to risk as the internal model on the other end of the spectrum. So the USP sits somewhere in between. Um, it gives you an SCR measure that's more appropriate or le- reflective of risk within your business, but it's not as onerous and expensive an exercise to perform as conducting a full internal model exercise thank you very much for listening and we would be happy to take questions now
0: uh... thank you for that guys
1: um... i just want to understand is it possible to to use user-specific parameters for certain classes of business and use the standard uh,
0: parameters for other classes of business or once you apply you just have to use uh, user-specific parameters for all classes of business.
1: Um, thanks for that question. So yes, uh, given, given the requirements, or as John highlighted, you've got to have at a minimum five years worth of data to apply for approval to use user USPs. So of course, where you don't have that data, then it's not possible to get approval. So yes, to answer the question, you can apply for specific lines of business to use a USP. Um, But obviously you've got to demonstrate to the insurer, to the regulator, that you're not cherry-picking and only modeling or picking the risks that give you a lower capital requirement. So I think that would be an important question from a regulatory point of view.
0: Um, I was just uh, curious. Um, If the validation process for the USPs is as onerous as the internal model, then it's going to be quite an expensive exercise. So have you had any experience in actually getting the USPs approved? And if so, does the cost justify the saving in the capital?
1: Thanks for that question, good question. Yes, uh, there is validation requirements around the USP, but remember it's limited to the extent, firstly, that you're only capturing or modeling um, reserve and premium risk, so lesser work. But more than that, also the methods are specified. The regulator requires you to calculate uh, the USPs or the volatility factors for both premium and reserve risk under all three methods, um, and then demonstrate why um, you've chosen a specific method. So from a validation perspective, it's a much smaller and cheaper exercise compared to an internal internal model. And of course, whether or not it's worth um, that investment depends on the capital saving potentially. But more than that, it's useful from the perspective that you get an SCR measure that's more appropriate to risk within your business. So as we highlighted, where the SCR is used as a key metric that drives decision making, the benefit there is greater than just simply saying, well this is an expensive exercise for us to to do. Thanks guys. Um, Just a quick question on the premium risk uh, parameterization. What allowances in the technical specifications are there for making exposure adjustments to changes in your mix for a certain line? If if a line has changed uh, quite dramatically over, 10, 15 years, will you still be allowed to take that into account um, or does your data
2: become less credible as a result? So um, the technical specifications aren't very specific in terms of how to deal with the fact that you might have a changing underlying mix. I think the assumption is that the mix is constant. However, as I mentioned earlier, there are very strict um, requirements in terms of proving that your data is complete, accurate and appropriate. And I think in this case you might just need to spend some time thinking about whether the the data you you, you are using is appropriate. And given that the answer might not be yes, what adjustments you need to make to that data to make it appropriate for the use as at today.
1: Always get a capital saving if you use a USP methodology. So, not necessarily. Um, we've seen the USP exercise um, done for a number of insurers, um, and quite surprisingly, there's been a trend where, for certain lines of business, the volatility factors in the standard formula understates the capital requirement, uh, where for other lines of business, it overstates the cap- capital. Um, so, to answer your question, not necessarily. It depends on. Um, your specific circumstances and experience.
0: Okay, last one.
2: Hi, Junaid. Uh Just a quick question as far as approval goes. How long does it currently take to get uh, user-specific parameters approved at the FSB? Um,
1: so yeah, at the start I highlighted that there isn't really a position paper around the approval process for user-specific parameters, um, unlike was the case in, in Europe. So I don't know, that's probably a question for the regulator. Um, but I would think that it would be a similar process to the internal models, but obviously given that it's quite limited, again, to reserve risk, premium risk, the methods are specified, um, some of the assumptions are already implicit in the process, I think, yeah, um, in theory, it should be an easier, uh, cheaper exercise. Thank
0: Thanks, you very guys. much. Thanks. Thanks. Thank Before we break for tea, we just want to put a um, web link up on the screens. If everyone can please just take a few seconds during the tea break to fill in the survey. It's just five questions. And if you don't want to use your 3G, there is 50 megs free data available on the Empress Palace Wi-Fi link. And then we'll break for tea now. If everyone can please be back at 10.50, just a short 10-minute tea break. Thank you.